0: as human beings now we, or well, almost all of us move in if you like many different subcultures of the larger culture and it seems to me that in a way our larger culture is a, is a, is a mix uh, 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 we've inherited a mixture of historical cultures so that we've inherited the perspectives of the Western so-called enlightenment and, and scientific materialism and that kind of reductionist modernism that I've been referring to, of modernity, etc. And, and yet still lingering, um, less ostensibly in their r- religious forms, but still lingering, is the uh, kind of... Uh, ethics or, or va- value system of Christianity. So that in regards to the self, the views we have of selves, of what a human being is, the sense of ourselves and the parameters of ourselves, the larger culture is actually confused, just just uh, as a sort of result of history. So as I said, we, we've inherited this um, reductionism that goes with science we've inherited all, all that uh, I've pointed out about mo- modernity uh, but within that is a part of that is um, a an emphasis on individualism so it's it's a very individualistic culture uh, and a humanist culture in terms of what the what a human being is, the range of that as kind of um, not really including the divine um, so much, um, <clears throat> uh, so we've inherited all of that, and these, um, uh, ideas of, of virtue, or, or value, or sin, uh, if you like, even if we don't use that word, that come from the Christian, um, tradition, so for example, pride is a sin, uh, and uh, humility is a virtue um, and now whether we um, don't consider oneself Christian at all we we we, we th- those values in regard to the self self effacing not blowing one's own trumpet too much we don't like we don't like that when we see it in other people we try not to do it because we know others won't like it in us there's a kind of humility which is often a false humility that runs through the culture at the same time as being an individualistic culture a culture of uh, who's going to win, who's going to lose, of trying to pump up the individual in, in, in various ways, um, of the individual feeling alienated from society, all, all of this is, is wrapped up together I make mean, quite a confusing mix for us to have inherited in relationship to the, the sense and the view of self and other. And then within that, in in say spiritual cultures, particularly Buddha, the culture of Buddha Dharma, then we have this notion of no self or not self or the self is empty. And uh, this is, for a start, diff- a difficult uh, teaching for people to understand. It has lo- I th- I think it has lots of degrees of depth. There's many ways that we can talk about the self being empty in this way and that way. They're not the same, um, and uh, as I said, levels there, but. What happens within Buddhadharma culture with that is that there is a suspicion of self quite often, or or we tend to um, dismiss uh, someone surrounded by, uh, saturated by these kind of teachings and attitudes, um, uh, tends to kind of maybe lean their orientations in life in a way that Um, self and uh, the enchantment of self will sound suspicious and maybe self and uh, all that it involves is a little bit denigrated and dismissed or a lot it happens less now, as, as we have more psychotherapy, um, imbuing Dharma teachings, uh, or a lot of inside meditation teachings. But still, there's a tension here that comes from the um, complexity, because the mixed messages in our cultures about uh, and in regard to self, and the sense of self, and the view of self, and what a human being is, and all that. So self and other. And I want to talk about a little bit about re-enchanting self and other, and what a little bit about what might be involved in that. And we've touched on some of that already. Uh, and just to say, as as. Uh, not an aside, it's, it's some, something relevant, you know, there will be, or uh, rather, there are accusations from some, especially um, of a more secular persuasion within the Dharma, um, a secular agenda within the Dharma, that almost view the whole point, or one of the main thrusts of, of uh, Buddha Dharma, what the Buddha was saying, state that um, most important to the Buddha, the Buddha and, and the teaching was this kind of um, shattering of of, of uh, any notion of soul or self or divinity. Uh, that was the Buddha's central project originally. And then what happened historically over time is uh, he died and that message got lost and then lo and behold foolish humanity brings back in old ideas that he would have um, utterly rejected in his secularism and uh, ideas of selves and souls and divinities and all that so that the Mahayana and the Vajrayana teachings are regarded as a pollution and a, a, de- a devolution, if you like, as opposed to evolution of, of the teachings. There's impurities coming in from other systems, from uh, human uh, lack of... Uh, kind of honesty and stiff upper lip, etc., and clarity uh, and steel in the face of our real existential situation. All, all this is, is there. Um, now, I've touched on this uh, before, but hidden in there is an unacknowledged fantasy, an image of the Buddha, of the Dharma, of the history, um, what Nietzsche calls the glorification of origins. A uh, thing is more authentically at itself when at the beginning of its so-called existence um, and then gets uh, you, you know downhill from there the glorification of origins or the glorification of beginnings um, all of that is um, fantasy and image. Uh, now we can point that out we could also play the game a little bit and say if we want to and say that if we want to play this game of fantasy of origins, and actually say that it's rather than concepts like divine, divinity, God, angel, self, soul, whatever these words that we use now, and that we're we're seeking to give permission to and reenchant, rather than those, we can say actually it's the realism and the rarefication that is so much at the core and at the at the basis of a lot of contemporary. Dharma um, as well as many other spiritual traditions n- nowadays uh, contemporary spiritualities um, that's more of a return to self if you like and God if you like to use these words um, in in their larger context self in the Mahayana means not just personal self but also phenomenal phenomenal phenom- phenomenal self the self of phenomena self really means any belief in this this thing, uh, whether it's a human thing or an inanimate thing or an atom or whatever, um, self really means the belief in that as having inherent existence. And it applies not just to um, human beings, but it applies to phenomena as well. Personal self and phenomenal self, both are empty. But it's that return to the phenomenal self to the kind of belief in the reality, a basic reality of things, whether it's an atomistic reality or just the reality of the existential situation, the reality of matter, all that uh, conceived of in a certain way. That is the return of self. And God, uh, you know, words like life with a capital L or this, um, they are the God of secular modernism. Uh, they're, wor- they're kind of trump words that uh, trump everything else they're four letter words that get used um, actually vaguely but as if they're something real as if we're talking about the same thing so it's the realism and the reification one could say that is more the return to uh, self and God uh, and it's evident in, in all these different kinds of teachings and and. The conceptions of the path and the goal, uh, and the almost ubiquitous language of what is, of bare attention, of being with things as they are—a uh, phrase that the Buddha did use. That one didn't use bare attention, um, but use that phrase, "things as they are." But it, it meant it in a very different way. It meant things as they are, as things are empty. Be here now. Life as it presents itself. We've touched on this before, but we could say that actually. It's in the realism and the rareficationism that um, the teachings are polluted, if we want to play along with that game of fantasies. The most important thing is to acknowledge uh, fantasy. Fantasy of Buddha, fantasy of Dharma, fantasy of history, all of that. So it's complex within this confusion that I was alluding to earlier, um, the confusion of c- cultural messages and cultural inheritances. Um, and it's confusing. And then we talk about, as we've been uh, unfolding on the three different types of enchantment. And so, if we talk about enchanting the self, we don't mean just the kind of what we call the spiritual enchantment, um, the the kind that sort of dissolves the person into the universal oneness, or the universal onenesses of this or that flavor oneness, um, that don't uh, put an emphasis on the particularity but move towards the universal and we've also been differentiating from what we've called a bit clumsily sounding immature imaginal enchantment and mature imaginal based enchantment so all this is complex when we come to the the, the, the question or try to unfold or find a way forward with a re-enchantment of self and other um, it's complex for all those reasons and complex because um, we have we uh, have Psychological needs, you could say. Um, And there are certain psychological paradigms mixed in with all that about what constitutes a healthy self, a psychological self. These two are historically conditioned. And again, we tend to think, oh, this view that we're now at with modern psychotherapy and history, or depending on your allegiance to different contemporary psychologies, we tend to think that's real, whereas a notion, say, from medieval times or, or a- ancient times about what constituted what even a self was and what constituted a self or healthy self or unself, so, this is vastly different now, historically, vastly different. We just take it all for granted as, as a reality, as, again, this subtraction story of shaking off prior illusions, encrustations, unnecessary uh, veilings of what is a basic truth about um, self, reality, health, and all that, psychological health. So into this complexity as well is the whole delicate, complex question of um, psychologies, self-notions, psychological paradigms, etc. So somehow we need to kind of include all this and navigate among all that um, in talking about re-enchanting the self and the other and I can only do a little bit of that in this talk But uh, and one of the characteristics of modernity, of the sort of dominant view, if you like, of the culture in the West today is that, excuse me Self and divinity have become separated or rather in 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 the dominant view and, and this goes back even before modernity um, to um, uh, certain entrenched uh, dogmas in Christianity. There was a separation of the human and the divine in the more mystical traditions um, that that separation uh, was either never agreed upon or uh, different practices and different teachings came in to re-wed the human and the divine in lots of different ways and at lots of different levels, both as a starting conception and and as something to move towards. We'll maybe touch on some of that. But into the, the dominant contemporary paradigm is this either a separation of the self and the divine if there's any divinity, uh, sense of divinity or concept of divinity um, left at all in, in the general picture of what human being is and what the cosmos is. And the philosopher Charles Taylor, the Canadian philosopher Charles Taylor, um, in, in his m- massive tome on uh, secular age, actually, one way he has of defining uh, what constitutes secularism is uh, that... It it uh, it's the same. It's characterized by um, the. Uh, 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 it's a time in um, the evolution or, or or the history of uh, human society where it's quite possible for many, if not most, people to have a goal in life of flourishing. Um, uh, hu- purely human flourishing. In other words, one can live one's life and really everything in one's life, one's work, one's relationship, one's um, whatever whatever else it is, the, the food one eats, it's all um, seen from the perspective and with the goal of a only human flourishing. Um, and so at a certain point in, in the West, that became, uh, in, in the last hundred years, that became... Um, quite possible and quite acceptable um, for that to be the orientation to life that um, many people were able to have. So that's the first time in human history, I don't know if that's true, because actually reading the Pali Canon, you get the sense that there were certain sects or teachers who promulgated just such a view. How popular that was in the wider society, I don't know. Um, But this is his... Mm almost as a defining characteristic of secularism, or one of them uh, that he uses. And I think it's quite interesting. Um, this word flourishing has become so so popular in some sociological and psychological uh, and political uh, discourses. Um, h- purely human flourishing, in other words, with no reference or need uh, to have... Uh, a relationship with divinity or the, or the flourishing is something that is um, a flourishing of something more than the human um, what uh, Taylor calls uh, self-sufficing humanism self-sufficing humanism the human as conceived according to modernity with that kind of uh, flatness and exclusion of divinity that have been alluding to repeatedly and living one's life for the sake of, the, of of flourishing within those parameters of purely human flourishing, um very, very normal nowadays. Very normal in our in our society, and it's characteristic of secularism. And this is this is actually interesting um historically again. It's like when Freud wrote his uh, Civilization and, and its discontents, um, his book, um, he said there are two purposes of civilization or culture. Um, one is to protect human beings against nature, and the other is to adjust the mutual relations of, of human beings um, in, in different ways, in, in, in terms of laws and, and things. Protecting against nature, adjusting the mutual relations. Probably, uh, well, maybe, uh, let's say. 30 years ago or s- some decades ago um, a lot of politicians and sociologists um, would probably have said well we've done these now in the west um, I would put a huge question mark with that uh, whether we have been so intent on protecting ourselves so called protecting ourselves from nature now we are actually more in danger from climate change and uh, loss of species and environmental pollution and degradation but uh, And as to our mutual relations, it seems to me that also needs quite a lot of work. But um, a lot of people would have thought that way. And so these two that Freud pointed to have done, and so the purpose of civilization uh, actually then was kind of allowed to expand and added this human flourishing. So the very purpose of our civilization nowadays, now that we're... And and we are, you know, much more protected from nature. A lot of our mutual relations are taken care of, um, etc. So despite all the sort of lacunae there and and the glaring uh, problems that remain there, um, uh, what came in as a, if you like, implicit or explicit purpose of culture was this um, goal uh, culture or civilization served human flourishing, humanistic flourishing, human flourishing. But again, what does it mean? What does it mean? This word that's so commonly used now, flourishing, has become popular. May you flourish. Allowed to flourish, etc. What does it mean? What is it assumed to involve? More than uh, just the basic requisites. Um, uh, food and, and home and, and 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 these kind of things and water, um, and again, e- even in the U.S. and and the U.K., even these requisites are uh, not guaranteed to every member of society. But over and above that, uh, and the thrust of this talk is not about that. But um, uh, over and above. Uh, the requisites. What is human flourishing assumed to involve? And what is left out or actually overlooked in what it means for a human being to flourish or what is uh, a part of human flourishing? It's worth pointing out that historically um, um, arenas or containers or forms or avenues that uh, care for and provide for and allow and nourish soulfulness, um, historically, they have been part of the stable civilizations and cultures of the human past for millennia. Millennia. It's only uh, the modern West uh, and is, is, historically speaking, strange in, not, in its lack of emphasis on soulfulness in the way that it doesn't really integrate that um need into its forms into its ri- rituals etc it comes in anyway it can't help but come in so but it's not really consciously thought about or provided for probably i would say in the best in the best ways that are possible because it's simply not part of the dominant paradigm in discourse. So it gets squeezed out of public spaces, it gets squeezed out of um, public, uh, what's, what's the word, public uh, discourses and, and public um, activities and engagements and all of that. So the self is regarded a certain way, and the whole movement of what it is to be a human being, the movement of one's life between birth and death, it's all regarded um, in in the dominant way, a certain way, and then within our different subcultures and all this complexity. But this leveling, this only human, this secular humanism, uh, and the way in the culture in which the human being is now regarded, Compare that to um, something I heard a few months ago, um, that in Burkina Faso, in Africa, um, in, the, in the tribes, in the countryside, in the rural villages, um, when a woman is pregnant, at about six months, I think, at about six months, the elders of the, the village elders or the tribe elders call the woman... To a kind of council, a meeting, and they put her into a trance or she goes into a trance, and they address themselves, the elders of the tribe address themselves to to the baby uh, in her in her womb, and they ask that baby uh, while she is in trance while while the mother is in trance, they ask the the, the baby what do the gods want to manifest through you? What do the gods want to manifest through you? Is one question. And the second question, what needs to change in the village to make space for you? What do the gods want to manifest through you? And what needs to change in the village to make space for you? And the mother in her trance is spoken through by, by the baby and the elders listen and they take it in. and they res- they're, Can you hear the, 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 the way that the human being is, is being uh, seen, the depth of the respect, the beauty of that? And how such a notion just simply has uh, such a depth of notion, simply has no space in our in our contemporary society, just by the virtue of the structure of the society, but also by the virtue of the structure of the thinking. And compare that kind of reverence, orientation, respect, openness, sacredness of the human being, of the self. Um, being born into this world, being born into the world of of society and manifestation, and being born into its uh, individual place within that society and its calling—all of this is there. Compare that with uh, the, the uh, it, what has been exposed by various Western philosophers and social critics uh, over the over the last few hundred years. Um, uh, a kind of, as I said, individualism, but one that's actually manipulated by capitalism and by the market economy. So we are regarded as, as if you like, pawns in, in, for the advertising industry, for the whole way the economy works, consumerism is necessary, you know, all, all these things. Um, Michel Foucault talks about the objectification of subjects human subject, the human self becomes an object um, in a kind of power play and, and the depth of one's humanity, what it means to be a self um, is effectively disregarded, reduced in the most um, complete way almost sometimes I mean before Foucault there was the, the Frankfurt School uh, Adorno and Hockheimer that I alluded to earlier and talked about the culture industry um, the, the way that a whole industry was um, being set up through capitalism that really um, manipulated individuals in, in lots of different ways. Very, very different um, scope, range, sense, view of human beings. And again, compare that with Islam, um, where they say the cardinal sin... Uh, is the forgetfulness of who one is in other words, to forget the sacredness the depths, the range the uh, divinity, if you like of of the human being, of the self of your individual self um, and your individual uh, callings, if you like and all the aspects of yourself, we'll go into that that's, that's actually the cardinal sin it's this forgetfulness of who one is Again, in the teachings of Buddha nature, in, in, in the Buddha Dharma, it's like, that. if you like, your true self, if, if one uses that language, or, or your um, essence, or at least your capacity, is for divinity. The self is, so the human being is something much, much more in its range and dimensions than this flatland version. Uh, and again in, in the in the in the um christian tradition they talk about the imago dei the, Im, the Im, uh, being made in the image of god and the possibility of the in the mystical tradition the possibility of in my human self in your human self in my mind in my heart in my life in my actions there is the possibility of um Uh, imitatio Dei, but but more than that, the incarnation of Christ, the mystical incarnation of Christ in the depths of my mind, in the depths of my heart, in my soul. uh, There's a transformation, a transubstantiation that's already there um, in potential uh, and at one level in actuality, but that can be incarnated in, 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 in the fuller sense of that word, incarnated brought into manifestation, brought into this world of, of materiality as we see it, in the different ways we see it. So in modernity, and, and uh, now, nowadays in our, in our Western culture, as I said, we get mixed messages regarding the self and the individual and individualism. Um, Just as we get mixed messages, and this is all woven together, about desire versus greed. And how desire is trumped, and greed is bad, uh, and sexuality. Uh, Mixed messages are hugely confusing. And all these are aspects of self. I'm going to come back to this. So we're getting mixed messages about all kinds of things. And yet... Many people, um, maybe they weren't articulated or something, but you could say we're suffering from this disenchantment, uh, the, 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 the disenchantment that's, um, if you like, in, integral almost to to modernism. And we're trying to enchant the self. Somehow um, people are living w- with these paradigms, oppressed, constrained by these paradigms, constrained by structural um, uh Uh, structures in society, and somehow, of course, something in them wants to re-enchant the self, wants to have an enchanted sense of self and of other. Um, And people do find ways of doing that, or limited ways of doing that, or they'll do it on occasion, or when you're in love for a period of time, etc., etc. But somehow, trying to enchant the self without uh, allowing a sense of depth and divinity, that's not allowed um, and often that enchantment comes uh, as I said through we're given a sort of in some ways vast set of toys to play with because of what um, modern society and technology allows but in another way a very a very thin meager palette um, and set of tools and uh, toys with which, with which self can be enchant, re-enchanted. So uh, one tries, so many people trying to fashion a unique, interesting self, myself as an individual, to appear, uh, to create, uh, some, somehow do something to fashion and create what appears to be, this is me and I'm unique and I'm interesting. Uh, Etc. when actually there might not be that much interest there because the whole view of the self is actually constrained, it can't be that interesting and what are we given to do this with? well there's consumption, there's consumerism you can buy these clothes or you can create a certain look or buy that car or whatever it is so we are rich, uh, we live like kings compared to uh, people in the past our standard of living is equivalent to um, what, what royalty would have experienced in the past, probably way beyond that and yet at one level we are poor, we are poor um, in terms of if we just if we just receive what we are given um, in terms of our view of who we are and what the self is, we are poor and um, not able to re-enchant with, 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 with those deeply, with, the, with, within that paradigm and with those, those opportunities that we're given. In fact, the opposite happens. The, um, I mean, this is a kind of Marxist phrase, I, I 10 I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not a Marxist and I don't really, uh, want to harp on about that, but um, in a way, there's the superficial self-sense um, seeking enchantment through um, the, the, basically the manipulations of capital consumerism, being manipulated by it, being a pawn in a larger game, um, but given enough of a possibility for trying desperately to fashion something interesting um, uh, so that our our Money and consumerist and, uh, thrust can can try and do that, but actually, all that trying at that level just just goes back to um, create the superficial or to preserve a superficiality of the self sense. Because it's superficial, we try and the self sense we try and re-enchant it. We don't have we have very limited possibilities for that. And, and those possibilities actually keep keep the self-sense superficial. So we're caught in something here, potentially. And then add to that um, this further very common idea. Again, um, it's, a, it's quite a modernist idea. One wouldn't um, recognize it as such, but we have this idea of the authentic self, the real me. And so we feel, we're told that we need to be authentic and that there's a true me and, and we really feel that at times. And, and I have that pulling me one way and on the other side this social pressure because of the way the society is set up and again the, um, the lack of inner depth to what human being is conceived of and felt to be. So I have uh, the, the other pressure is what do others think? As long as I don't have that access to the depth, what others think and the social anxiety and the the pressure to conform or not be judged or, or, or this or that is huge. And these things pull in different directions. I've got to be authentic to myself. There is an authentic self that I need to be somehow true to and in touch with. And on the other side, what do others think of me? Is it okay? Am I okay? Tell me I'm okay. What can I... Do and manipulate and uh, spend on to make others others feel uh, others think I'm okay. How am I in the eyes of others? Am I okay? Am I enough? Am I uh, singled out as faulty in the eyes of others? So all this again, I'm just saying, it creates so much um, tension and uh, if you like non. Uh, creative in, creativity inhibiting confusion and constraints and, and tension around this whole um, wish that we have to, to, to for an enchanted sense of existence and of self and other. And we talked, you know, I'm just repeating now, but we've talked about, you know, if I see the self, if I see what a human being is as only really a product of evolution of biological evolution that this is kind of this is what we get down to when we're really talking about what's real you are a product and your behavior and your choices and your way you perceive it's all the product of evolution or the product of of neurology of uh, neurophysiology now for some people that view can be enchanting but if we're only that um it's probably not that enchanting if we're regarded as only if we're uh, regarded with a reductionist view, a biological reductionist view. It's difficult to be in, uh, to have a sense of a really enchanted self. Reductionism inhibits that. We need um, enchantment needs this beyond. We need to be more than that. So of course, um, biology and neurophysiology and evolution and. All of that, historical conditioning, everything. But this needs to be something beyond, something more than, in order for a sense of enchantment, as we said right from the beginning. And again, uh, you know, Dharma circles is so common nowadays, if we're talking about the self, view of self and other, and this kind of, um, actually, sometimes dogmatic kind of conclusion or assertion, um the Buddha said, or the, the, the truth of the self is, what the self really is, is a process. A process of, um, bi- bio, a biological process and a mental process. Even, um, sometimes, in some cases, the mental process is reduced to a biological process, a neuronal one, etc. A brain process. But the self is the process. And sometimes I've cracked what the Buddha was saying. The self is a process. This is the true nature of things. Anything else is a bit of a delusion. Self is a process. Now, I would say that's a certain level of um, meditative view or a way of looking a perception that's available to us, to feel ourselves as processed moment to moment, um, aggregates arising of um, sensation and vedana and perception and consciousness and all that intention. And um, useful at a certain level, a certain level of freedom will come, come out of that. But it's only a way of looking. It's only a certain level of perception. It's not ultimately true. It's not ultimately true. The self is a process. I've talked about this in other talks. I'm not going to go into it now. Um, It's not ultimately true. It's definitely not the deepest. That perception of the self as a process does not yield for us the deepest freedom. Absolutely not. And nor is it particularly enchanting as a view of the self. The self is a moment-to-moment arising of conditioned, uh, kind of mechanistic flow, a conditioned arising of a moment of sensation and perception and neuronal functioning, etc. We can try and enchant that view of process and and talk about words like flow and bring in river imagery and all that kind of stuff, maybe to a certain extent. But... uh, There's problems with that. Not ultimately true, doesn't bring the deepest freedom, doesn't really open up the uh, capacity and the range of of possible enchantment. Or then there's another kind of view, um, the the self is really one with um, cosmic awareness or one with cosmic love or one with God um, or the self is nothing, Um, the self is a total illusion or, or whatever. And that's the real nature of the self. And that also, I would say, uh, would, suffers from the the, the the same three lacks. It's not ultimately true. It's not ultimately true that the self is one. It's a, it's a level, it's a deep mystical experience, a level of perception, important, beautiful, as is the sense that the self, the perception that the self is nothing, is absolutely nothing. Um, but it's not ultimately true. I'd say... It's, it's wonderful and important to have that as a as a perception, as a level of perception and understanding. It's not ultimately true, it's not the deepest freedom, and it will not open up the deepest and the fullest enchantment. What is necessary uh, for re-enchanting, for really full, really deep, really wide re-enchantment, and delivering us from what is not ultimately true, what is not quite deeply freeing, um, is the flexibility of view that I keep um, harping on about. Flexibility of self view and the insight legitimizing and underpinning that flexibility. After you see all these different kinds of uh, meditative and mystical experiences moving in and out and understanding how they arise and how they disappear and saying the fabrication, dependent arising of both self and perception. And then you start to see what's really true is is this very flexibility. The flexibility of self-view, and it legitimizes that flexibility in the moving in and out of and the adopting of different self-views. There's an insight here of what actually is ultimately true. And uh, we need a conception, an insight um, that allows, supports, and actually insists on a flexibility of self-view allows, supports, and insists on a flexibility of self-view. It's this that um, most fully allows, not just the biggest freedom, um, is congruent with the ultimate truth, but also it most, most fully allows the reenchantment. So we can add, add to this. Uh, you know, if we ask this question okay there's all this confusion and this uh, disenchantment in in um, in our, world view, our view of the cosmos and our view of self our sense of self and to have a soulful reenchantment of self and other whenever i use self in this talk uh, I, I, everything that i say about self applies to other as well other selves um both as um, you know an idea but also as applicable in practice. I can practice viewing an other in, in these different ways. So what's needed in, in re-enchanting self and other um, is one of the things is uh, a view and a conception of personality and of the personal relevance of what arises for us. So, in other words, um, both within and without, in in, in terms of the the ideas of fate or destiny, um, including the difficult, somehow that needs to get included, I'm going to come back to this, that also needs to get included, um, not erased out in a universality. So we somehow want a kind of enchantment that really includes and even emphasizes not just the universal, but also the very personal, the very particular and the personal relevance of what arises for us inside and outside in our lives. And included in that is the difficult, is the dukkha. So that um, that view, uh, again, allows and supports um a sense of, of, senses of sacredness of, of the person and of the um, uh, personal relevances of what arises for us. So that the events of our life um, are, are, are somehow integrated into a whole view of sacredness, of the sacredness of the self of the person. So, does the conception of the self, uh, view of the self that we're entertaining, or the wider view of the self, um, the, the, does the conception of the self, but also the, the conception of its relationship with experiences, and its relationship with the cosmos and time, so all of that, conception of self, conception of its relationship with, with the experiences it goes through in life, and also its relationship with the cosmos and with time. Does the conception we have of all of that um, allow a transformation in our in our relationship with suffering that becomes soul-making? So that suffering becomes soul-making. Does our conception of self, its relationship with experiences and its relationship or constellation with regard to the cosmos and time Allow a transformation of the relationship with suffering, with our suffering, all kinds of suffering, so that so that, that suffering becomes soul making. And how fully does it allow that and support that transformation? How deeply does it allow and support that transformation? So this is this is what what um, what, what, what needs to be included and involved in a soulful reenchantment of self and other. And at an even more subtle level of what what self means is just just as subject, uh, rather than object, uh, as opposed to just as consciousness, if you like. Um, what what does it mean to be enchanted, at, to re-enchant that subtle level, just consciousness, that level of self as 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 subject, and again purely the complexities of neurology. There's a certain enchantment in that. How full, how deep. Again, uh, some ideas of of Buddha nature, some versions of the idea of Buddha nature in in Buddha Dharma teachings, some philosophies in the West. Um, certainly in the in Neoplatonism and other other currents through Western history, but also in Hegel, the uh, German philosopher Hegel, etc. This and um, the human. Subject in in one's subjectivity, meaning in one's consciousness, that too is regarded as um, divine, as as included, and is, is There's a view that we can re-enchant it by giving it other dimensions and divinities. We'll come back to this. But as I said uh, a few minutes ago, w- w- somehow an opening of the view. Uh, the views and the conception of self of what a human being is uh, and a flexibility of view and views and conceptions of self and other this is necessary to re-enchantment so uh, this is again something from Nietzsche it says, uh, the belief that regards the soul as, uh, as, some, as a monad as a, an atomon meaning as, as one thing as indivisible, uh, this belief ought to this belief ought to be expelled from science. It is not at all necessary, though, to get rid of quote the soul at the same time. In other words, we don't need to get rid of this idea of soul, but it's just what it's the idea of the soul as just this, and it's one thing, and it's it's uh, uh, rigidified and fixed, and there's a sing- singleness of you. But the way is open. He continues, the way is open for new versions and refinements of the soul hypothesis. And then he runs a few, uh, through a few different possibilities, and, and so such conceptions as this and this and this, and soul as subjective multiplicity, so in the sense of plurality of soul and plurality of um, uh, plurality of views of what the soul is. The so saying, Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. There's something in the concept of soul, or rather we can um, extend and give uh, a range of meanings to what we mean by soul that it it actually might be very fruitful. Like run screaming or cry. Uh, That's illegal when people use words like self or soul. Actually, concepts, when they're skillfully handled, when they're um, related to with insight, actually open things up. And I'll come back and say more about that. Then he continues with this, um, opening views up this way. He says, um, the new psychologist, um, by precisely that act, by opening up the notion of soul, um, condemn themselves to invention. They condemn themselves to invention. In other words, you have to be creative in the view and in the perception, etc. We're back to this idea of art and creation. And he says, by precisely that act, act condemn themselves to invention, and who knows, perhaps to discovery. So again, this, this. Um, ambiguity about creation and discovery, right there, invention and discovery through the skillful and open uh, use of a concept like soul. In another another place, in another book actually, um, Nietzsche says, some souls one will never discover. So some self, some souls of oneself, if you like. Some souls one will never discover unless one invents them first. Just d- d- deep understanding of um, this, this uh, fact of we create and we discover. We create and we discover uh, the soul, the self, the other, etc. So we need this... Uh, kind of elasticity uh, as i said of 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 the concept of the self or soul or whatever, in order that this soul making dynamic the um, eros and the psyche and the logos the conceptual the um, the m- eros and the image imaginal sense and the conceptual framework in other words can um, can feed each other, fertilize each other, open each other, expand each other, enrich each other, deepen each other. That's all there in the elasticity of the Logos, of the, of the, of the conception. When that's elastic enough, then we can fall in love with the self. And the sense of the self, uh, whether it's self of other or, or self of self, can, uh, can become endlessly deep, complex, enriched, filled with image. If a human being uh, is regarded at just from the point of view or, or a reductionist point of view of biology or cognitive science, uh, mechanistic reductions, um, then the image of self dies because it do- it no longer retains that element of mystery of inexhaustibility that an image ha- needs to have to stay alive, as we talked about in other talks. So even a, there needs to be a kind of undefinability as part of that mystery and inexhaustibility. There needs to be an undefinability um, of, of any concept, uh, whether it's self or love or the divine. Also dharma, there's an undefinability to it that allows... Uh, 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 an, an endless moving into mystery. It always has a beyond, an inexhaustibility, and that's necessary for the soul-making. For any of these concepts—self, love, divine dharma, etc., etc.—anything that matters deeply to us needs to retain a certain amount of undefinability, mystery, inexhaustibility, and reductionist explanation. Summing up will not allow that. So, undefinability and mystery as uh, something fertile, not just something so oh, it's undefinable or it's just a mystery and we just shrug and turn away. We just say, oh, well, that means it's nonsense because it's not definable or it's mysterious. So, um, more than that. Thank you for listening.